Thank you for being here this morning. A lot of wonderful things happening. And uh, I appreciate all of you that are patient with us as we've had to make some very uh, tough decisions and uh, direction and finding out exactly, you know, knowing what God wants you to do is not the easiest thing in the world, is it? And so you have to be doing the right thing to start with because it's not so much what God wants us to do, where He wants us to do it, all that. It's, it's what we're doing for Jesus and the mission. That's the main thing we have to focus on. Now, you can turn to Acts chapter 3, uh, and we're going to preach out of Acts chapter 4. That makes sense to you? We're going to cover a lot of ground today, okay? A lot of ground. But um, <clears throat> today's message is no other name. No other name. Over Christmas, there was a movie that came out. I have yet to see it but I have read all the reviews of the movie. Then I took time this week and read uh, a short biography of Louis Zamperini, the um, story of Unbroken, the movie out called Unbroken. And Louis, or Louis Zamperini, he was born in 1917, and uh, he... Um, uh, got into the military, and he also ran, uh, qualified in the 1936 Olympics. And he uh, qualified for the track and field, U.S. track and field, and it was in Berlin. And uh, he, he ran the 5,000 meter. It was not what he went there for, but he did it. And uh, he wasn't all gold decorated. He came in eighth place. And yet, uh, it was an amazing feat because the last lap, he ran 56 seconds and still came in eighth. But man, he the fastest one on that last lap. And he met Adolf Hitler. And uh, Hitler told him, said, I know who you are. You're the guy who finishes fast. Amazing story. And of course, they've written books, two biographies, and then uh, this movie and uh, he said, and, and, and then he uh, endured lots of hardship, but through all that, he became a very famous veteran. And uh, they called him a hero after his uh, uh, stint in Japanese um, prison. And uh, he said, no, I'm not a hero. The true heroes are the guys with legs missing and arms gone. I'm in one piece. When a guy gives up his body, he's the real hero. Amazing, isn't it? Now, I could take that and make a sermon out of just that little statement. When the Bible says for us to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. Right? The true Christian heroes are the ones who give their bodies for God. Not those of us that just maybe... Yeah, I'm one. I'm too busy, but I'm one. No, it's the heroes of the faith are the ones who give their bodies a living sacrifice. But that's not my message. So you can finish that yourself, okay? But here's what I want to make a point today. Is we hear all the time, courageous people 
and we call them heroes. But courageous people rarely refer to themselves as courageous. All right? They do not think about courage. And rarely do real heroes ever are they comfortable being called a hero. And so I want to begin this message with you this morning that courage is doing what your fear tells you not to do. Courage is doing what your fear tells you not to do. And uh, when these events happen, uh, that somebody does some heroic event, uh, the person at the center does not have time to think about what he's going to do. He just does it. It's not something that they, they weigh out. There's something that's been uh, made their minds up long before they actually make that happen. And you'll find yourself in that situation if uh, someone around you is in trouble and you'll put your own life at risk. And then they, uh, that's called courage. Your fear says don't do that right? If your child, you don't know how to swim and you're a parent and your child is drowning, your fear tells you, I don't want to go in there. But before you get to the end of that, you're in there. That's what we're talking about. What brings that kind of courage? Where does that kind of courage come from? How, how does this work? And the reason we do that is because there is something more important than your fear at stake, right? That's what causes you to do things that fear tells you not to do. It's something more important at stake. So Jesus comes to this world a baby. Isn't that amazing? God comes as a baby, and he has human parents responsible to take care of him, to change his diaper or whatever they had in that day, okay, to feed him. They, he comes, God comes in the, as a human. He doesn't come as a grown man. comes as a baby. <clears throat> and then he lives his whole life <clears throat> until he's executed some 33 or so years later. And we get ourselves into the book of Acts, which is a sequel to the book of Luke. And now in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, remember back there a few weeks ago, we learned that <clears throat> he ascended unto the Father. So now the Lord is at the right hand of the Father. And he sends his spirit now to the disciples so that they can go on mission of rescuing people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, finally, the Holy Spirit comes upon whosoever will... He calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And the Holy Spirit of God, for the very first time, comes and begins to indwell His people from the inside out. That's called salvation. That's being saved, as far as we're concerned, this side of the cross, or in the shadow of the cross. And so we get to Acts chapter 3 and 4. 
And we're going to read a lot of verses today. So I hope you have your Bible. We're going to have it on the screen for you. I'll try to keep it as interesting as I can, but I hope that it will sink in. We're going to study the Word of God this morning. And in Acts chapter 3, the, the disciples are walking past the gate beautiful. <clears throat> I wish I had all the graphics for you. And I've been there, so I'm, I'm envisioning what I'm telling you because I've been there uh, four times, okay? So I, I, I can remember where this, the, the wall of the temple in Jerusalem and this beautiful gate. And this is the area entering into Jerusalem called the gate beautiful. And uh, many scholars believe that is the gate that Jesus rode that donkey in on Palm Sunday, right? That's the gate. Now, this is the area that they are in. Now, the Romans destroyed that gate. If you were to go there today, the gate is actually there, but it's blocked up, all right? The Romans destroyed the whole city uh, back in 70 AD. And then in about 810, we live in 2015, back in 810, the Muslims came through and conquered there, and they rebuilt the city. But they took that gate because that gate is prophesied the one that Jesus will come through again as the Messiah at the end of the age. And so they blocked it up so he can't come. Isn't that amazing? So if you go and if you stand over here on of Gethsemane and you look across the Kidron Valley, you'll see the big temple wall, huge wall, and you'll see a gate and it's all blocked up. And that's where that all happened. And so what happens is, is they, uh, this lame man walks and they go to Solomon's porch. And it's at the porch of Solomon that Peter is going to explain the miracle of the healing of the lame man. Because he doesn't want people to misunderstand it, what's happened. And that's what's happened today. So many people have taken Acts and made it prescriptive. In other words, they've taken the book of Acts and said, this is how it's supposed to be done. When in reality, Acts is descriptive. It's a history book. It's a sequel to the book of Luke telling us what happened. It's not perscripting. It's not telling Kevin what I need to be doing now. It's telling Kevin what Jesus did then and how that power impacts us now. And so I want to talk about that today. Acts chapter 3 and beginning in verse 12. I hope this uh, helps you get more understanding of this passage. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at all at this? Or why do you stare at us? <laughs> right? I know what he feels like. Because sometimes I come in here and I think you're staring at me. I know what it is for you to stare at me. Okay? And so today I feel like you're, you're looking at me, okay? And that's okay. But when you stare, it scares me, all right? But good. So he says, why are you staring at us? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own... See, he just healed the lame man, if you read previous. And this lame man, he's been there for decades. There was no question. This man had never walked. Everybody in the city knew he had never walked, and he sat by the beautiful gate begging. Everybody knew him by name. That's how he made his living. He, he couldn't walk. He couldn't get up. And so 
they, they would give them money, and that's how they did it. And then all of a sudden, Peter says, gold and silver we don't have, but what we have we'll give to you. What did they have? They had the Holy Spirit, and they had God doing His own work. Not their work, but His own work. I mean, now, this is just Kevin being a little bit... But notice that Peter and John didn't get gold back for doing what God does. Amen? Now, you take that from your whole traditions and backgrounds and you translate that, maybe it'll help you understand. I think it's deeper than just us going out here and doing what we do. The God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So he's talking to a group of people who were part of the crowd who said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And now he's telling them, he said, Pilate said he was innocent, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. Man, that's tough, isn't it? That's tough preaching. You killed him, who God raised from the dead. In other words, you couldn't keep him dead. Amen. You couldn't keep it going, but you killed him. To this, we are witnesses. Peter is saying, all of us apostles here are witnesses of that resurrection. We have spoken to him since he was in the tomb. We have eaten with him. Hard to fake eating with somebody. Now, it's easy to fake. I, th- I saw him. Yeah, I did. I saw him. I can't. Pr- but boy, when you're eating with somebody. That's not a hallucination, right? And so he goes on, he said, and his name, what? By faith in his name, his person has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in this presence, in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. I'm not trying to uh, make you guilty. I'm just telling you, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by mouth of all the prophets, that is, His Christ, would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Notice He doesn't tell them to go get baptized. Remember, we talked about that last week. He just says, repent that your sins be bottled out, that the time of refreshing may come to you from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the pre- Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now go to chapter 4. And they were speaking to the people. And the priest and the captain of the temple, these are the religious leaders, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. Oh, you don't want to annoy religious people. Right? When religious people get annoyed, man, bad things happen. So they were annoyed. 
Here we go again. We've already killed Jesus, and they won't shut up. You understand the atmosphere going on? All right. And so he said, Annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus. Now listen to what's happening here. They've just killed him. He's dead. That's been 50 days ago. <laughs> right? Why are we still talking about this? Now listen, I'm trying to build it up for you. And, and they were teaching the people about Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. See, to the Jewish, you have to understand, these Jewish leaders thought these apostles and disciples of Jesus were heretics. They thought they were a bunch of hillbilly bumpkins, uneducated. That's what they thought they were. All right, so keep that in mind. That's who they're talking to. So you can almost read the disgust, right? Man. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. You see, they could arrest the messenger, but they couldn't arrest the message, okay? The message was still out there. But many of those, verse 4, who had heard the word, believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. In those days, they numbered the men. And if you have 5,000 men, you're going to have about 5,000 women. If you have 5,000 men and women, you're going to have several thousand children. Okay? That's just the way things work. We're looking at thousands of people here. Right? And so, on the next day, verse 5, their rulers and elders, scribes, gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, or Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and, the, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly family. All right, these are the men who condemned Jesus earlier. Now they're having to come back weeks later and talk to these Christians that keep talking about this problem we've already taken care of. But this problem doesn't go away. And here we are 2,000 years later, and this problem still hadn't gone away. It's still here, Jesus Christ. And they can't quit making movies about him. And the only reason that many of them make the movies is because they make money. Well, that's okay. Jesus is being preached. I know it's not all accurate, but boy, his name's out there. Right? And so he goes on. And they set them in the midst. In other words, they put them in the middle. All right? They set them down and they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? You need to underline that and think about that this week. What name and what power do you do this? They're asking Peter and John. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed, we just, through Jesus, healed this man, and we're in here for questioning about doing something that's good. All right? To a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, see, no other name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. See, Peter is telling them that a man they killed weeks before did this. He's not saying he did it. He's saying that man you killed did it. They're thinking, wait a minute, something spooky going on here. What's happening here? So can you see what's going on here? 
And he said, it's the whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him. This man is standing before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. And look, verse 12, underline it. You need to know this as a Christian. And there is a salvation in no other else, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Amen. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, I told you, hillbilly bumpkins, right? Uh, common men, they were astonished. Look at this. This is a verse. Put this down. This ought to be the testimony of every Christian in the world. They recognized they had been with Jesus. Amen. <laughs> I can't preach my message yet. I'm just reading the scriptures, okay? But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with each other. They had a huddle. And they said, hey, man, what are we going to do with these guys? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Everybody knew this guy had begged for years his entire life. We can't cover that up. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further, okay, we got to keep this thing down. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. All right? Look what happened. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach in all the name, at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered. Now, you, folks, let me tell you, Peter and John said this. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You're asking us to deny what we've seen and what we've heard. And they had no further tree and, and and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. And who wouldn't happen? Wouldn't you be praising God if somebody was healed like that? For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed. See, the sign. What was the sign? The sign was Jesus is still alive. That was the sign. The sign was Jesus is still working miracles. Not me, not Peter, not John, but Jesus was doing that. And so he had been crippled for 40 years. Now, what a passage of scripture. Amen. So now we're going to come to it. This is the very same area. Understand, if you go back to Matthew chapter 21, jot it in your little notes, Matthew 21, go back and read the story. This is the same area where they asked Jesus by what authority he cast out those demons. Same thing. By what authority he healed. Same area. Back in Matthew. All right? And so now they ask the very same question of these men. We know Jesus did this. And remember, Jesus never answered them because they couldn't give him an answer. Now they ask Peter and John the same question. By what authority do you heal this man? And of course, Peter proclaims, Jesus is the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118, verse 22 and, and following. So you can jot that down. And he identifies Jesus as the cornerstone. 
cornerstone. So these Jewish leaders, these Sadducees, these high priests and so forth, they were very confused because they had killed Jesus and now these men are saying Jesus did this. That may, that's very confusing. Verse 13 is going to be my pivotal verse. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. You see, these guys began to look like, sound like, act like the person they followed. Do you see what discipleship is? Do you see what transformation is? Transformation is not bringing God into our world. Transformation is taking us into His world. Amen? That's what transformation... Religion will bring God into our world. But salvation brings us into His world. And they began to look, act, sound like Jesus. There's a reason for that. That didn't just happen because they got saved. I see people all the time over 30 years of ministry bored to tears with the Word of God. I have been bored to tears in my Christian life. Not today, okay? I am excited about what this is telling us. This is, this is neat the way this has worked out. My question to you, and here's my point, do people see that you've been with Jesus do they see that? Do people see that you have been with Jesus? Do you reflect what Jesus was, what Jesus is? So when they see you under pressure, <clears throat> they see Jesus. See, to an American Christian, you throw us in jail, and man, we're going to be fighting like all get out, aren't we? But Peter and John thrown in jail <clears throat> and question. <clears throat> they could see they'd been with Jesus. Right? It's taken years for me to be transformed to that. To where those negative pressure responses, I don't respond like Kevin did 30 years ago. I don't respond that way anymore. Why? Because I've been with Jesus. I didn't say I don't think that way. But I deny myself that and I respond the way Jesus leads me to respond. I don't respond the way Kevin wants to respond. Connie hears that response. I say, Connie, if it wasn't being a preacher, here's what I would have done. Right? If it, had, if it hadn't have been for... In other words, well, then how come you treated them that way? Because I've been with Jesus. And he's the most important thing at stake. Right? And so do you reflect that? Christ-likeness under pressure, not Christ-likeness sitting in a church. Some people can't even get that down. Okay? But I hope that you could at least get Christ-likeness in the church. But we're talking about Christ-likeness when the pressure's on. We're talking about when things aren't well. And they went to jail, <clears throat> and they had fear. 
but they saw Peter spoke with boldness. Where did that boldness come from? He had already made up his mind something, that Jesus and the gospel was more important than what they thought was important. And so that's what he said, whether it's right or wrong. We cannot but speak of what we've, except of what we've heard and seen. And so that is what I call unbroken courage. Now, where does that boldness come from? Where does that courage come from? To do what fear tells you not to do. <clears throat> to tell you to run into a burning building to save your baby. Fear tells you don't do that, but people do that. Where does that boldness come from? Well, here's the way I see it. The Spirit ignites the truth of the gospel in us to give us the courage to do what fear tells us not to do. When Christians are connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point that no matter what God asks us to do, even if it's to partner with other believers, whatever it does, it doesn't matter because it's about Jesus Christ. So whatever, if God calls me, Paul said, I become all things to all people that I might win some. Right? And if I, if I have to become something else in order to win more for Jesus, I'm willing to do it. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Come on, folks. Now you're staring at me. Everybody wake up. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If, if I have to become something else in order that Christ be raised and others and more people saved and coming to Christ and growing in the Lord, so be it. Most of the time, courageous people aren't conscious of being courageous, right? Peter and John were not thinking about it. They just did it. They just did it. Why did they do it? Because they already made up their mind about something more valuable is at stake. Right? They had determined. You want to know why churches get stuck and why church people have problems? Because we have yet to make up our mind that the gospel is at stake. And that's where we have to be. And because this church believes that the gospel is at stake, I have challenged you and asked you to go with us for the gospel's sake. That's, that's the bottom line. The gospel was more important than their own. In fact, do you know what the Bible says about some of these disciples? He said they hazarded their lives for the God. Matt, we don't use that word hazarded that way. It means they put their life on the line. Right? If one of my children were drowning, I would jump in. I would have hazarded my life. Right? I put my life on the line to save my child. And that's what these men did with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you take that kind of story, you take that kind of boldness, you take that kind of belief, you take that kind of faith and transpose it where you live. Do you get the same thing I got? 
we fall short. Kevin, you fall short. Right? You fall short of what these men were doing. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> there's no other salvation given among men. And so the truth of that, <clears throat> the, if we believe that the gospel comes first, then anything God tells us to do, he will, let, he will give us the power to do that. When we make the gospel the most important thing in our lives, then we will forgive those that mistreat us. Right? I'm telling you, it's hard. <clears throat> you know, when I was young, it, didn't, it was easy for me to forgive. Kids forgive each other, don't they? You know, they can stab each other with their crayons. And in two minutes, they're playing together with the playbill, right? And then teenagers, they really go at it. And then they forget. But you know, we adults, the, it, I would think that the older we get, the better we would be at it. I think we get worse at it. Somebody hurts you. Somebody uh, mistreats you. Somebody lies to you. Somebody doesn't. Oh, man, it'll fire you up. And, man, we'll hold grudges. But you see, <clears throat> when you believe that the gospel is the most important thing in your life, then you will forgive because you don't want to do anything that prohibits the gospel from being preached. You will love your enemies. You will work on that marriage. You will use your resources gracefully and willingly for the gospel. You see, the truth is, when we make up our minds that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the main thing, then we will <clears throat> hazard our lives. When you believe this and live the gospel out, it will guide you and you will have all of the boldness needed to do all that God has called you to do. See, I think what we're doing is trying to get hipped up about something that isn't the gospel. And it's hard. Hard to stay on the same page when everybody has their own preferences. Well, I like missions. Well, I like feeding the poor. Well, I like... That's great. But when we divide over our differences, we can't unite with the gospel. Right? <clears throat> so he'll charge. Yes, God cares and God heals physically, but the passage that we've just read isn't talking about physical healing. It's talking about spiritual blind eyes getting opened. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about broken people becoming whole. That's what the whole purpose of this. God taking broken people and putting them back together again. Peter does not go. And notice this. You don't want to know why I believe that? That Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive? The reason I believe that is because as soon as Peter heals this man, <clears throat> Peter doesn't go hunt for 25 more. Right? If the purpose was physical healing, I would say Peter and John ought not go to bed. And guess what would have happened had they done, given their life to healing people? They would have died and people would still be 
needing healing. This passage isn't about physical healing alone. It is about opening blind eyes. The boldness of the message gives boldness to the mission. Jesus is not one among many. He is the only. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I know that's not cool today. Because now, America leaders, they just want to say Jesus is a good man. He's just one. All religions lead to the same God. But that's not what Jesus was saying at all. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And there's no man, no one is going to make it to the Father. But by, in the Greek, that can be the word through. Through and by me. And so the Bible is there to help us. No other name. It's the foundation of the gospel. Without this passage, we we can't fully understand the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. That's what it is. I hope you grasp this message this morning. Christianity rests on what Jesus has done for you not the good things you do for him. Well, remember Louis Zamperini? I told you about at the beginning of the sermon. Well, Louis Zamperini spent 47 days at sea, stranded. Two years, two and a half years, in a Japanese prison camp. And he came out unbroken. And that's where the movie comes in. But actually, Louis Zamperini was a broken man. He came home with PTSD. He could not free himself from all the things that this Japanese leader named Bird tortured him. He, he, he came home and couldn't grasp the suffering. <clears throat> In fact, it was so bad that one night he woke up choking his wife because he thought it was bird. Amazing. His anger was out of control. He became an alcoholic. His marriage was on the verge of divorce. He had the courage to endure the war. Isn't that amazing? But he could not muster the courage to face his own soul. That's amazing, isn't it? And I like these two words. Anytime you read them in the Bible, circle them. But God. How many of you have a but God testimony? Right? But, yeah, preacher, I was this and this and this. But God. But God. Isn't that cool? In 1949 in Los Angeles, a young evangelist named Billy Graham holds his first crusade. 
You know those crusades have become famous. They replay those things. It's amazing. They can replay a, something he did 30 years ago. <laughs> and, and Billy Graham in Los Angeles holds his very first crusade and Louis Zamperini's wife, as only you wives know how to do for, to the men, she figured a way to get him to go to the crusade. A last-ditch effort to help her husband before they divorce. She wanted him to get saved. And that night, he came to Jesus Christ. Nine years later or so, 1958, I was just one year old, okay? 1958, he goes to a San Francisco Billy Graham crusade. And he gives a... T you can go online to the Billy Graham uh, websites and you can see this. And you can hear this man step up and tell what happened to him in 1949. And in 1949, he left his PTSD, his alcohol, everything. And by 1958... He had developed a ministry to wayward boys because he grew up a wayward boy, a delinquent. That's what he was. And in 1958, God had transformed him to minister to delinquent boys. Amazing. You see, Jesus took it all so that you could live. He's the hero. We're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. He is the one that allows you to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is the power of the gospel. Amen? The musicians come. If I had a whiteboard up here, I could list all your sins and shortcomings, right? It would take more than a whiteboard for us, wouldn't it? But let's just say we could write everything in your life and describe it right up here on a whiteboard. When you come to Jesus and say, Father, I believe. I believe you died for all of this. Will you save me today, please? I repent and save me. Guess what God does? He takes the eraser and he wipes it clean. Right? And he puts all of that on Jesus. Isn't that cool? That's the gospel. And as we move forward today, together this month as a church family, I want you to understand, keep that close to your heart. That it's not about religion. It's not about success. It's not about who we think we are and how people, what they think of us. It's about the gospel. God, what are you doing in this community? And we're not the only believers around here. We're just part of your big family. Amen?
And God has other people, his family in other places, serving in other places, ministering. In other, and sometime God wants to do something for everybody. Why? So that the gospel can go forward. Let's all stand.